0: This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. the of It is Danny and Gallant, your Seattle Mariners. Don't look now. Three games back of the wild card, entering today's series finale against the Texas Rangers. Yeah, the A's fall in Chicago last night. They had a tough series against the White Sox. You even had the Houston Astros losing three to two. The,
1: they're five and a half out of 10, first place in the AL West, which I didn't think would happen because I thought Houston was going to run away with this thing. But you're right; they've been falling back to earth too of late.
0: And look, Seattle is on a very hot streak right now, and you've seen them over over the course of this. After rebounding from it from a series in which they went, what, four and nine following the trade of Kendall Graveman, they've now bounced back from that and you've now seen them win five of their last six games, feeling really good about the position. I'm sorry, six of their past seven games. Feeling really good about the position. And they're gonna head into they've got three games in Houston, then two games at at Oakland, they've got a lot of opportunities ahead it's no no mystery how they're doing this. It's starting pitching right now yeah the question- the question is can can a team that their record does not add up from their statistics can can they can they really run down this many teams in a year where you've got about half more than half right now of the American League over five hundred to make a playoff chase?
1: It's a really difficult question to say yes to because of the offense and because mm-hmm. you just feel that while they're awesome right now with the starting rotation you do have to be honest and ask hey how many of these guys are going to be able to do this for more than a three-week stretch
0: yeah you're not going to get this same starting pitching for the final 41 games like with the starting pitching that you've gotten this month it's been off awesome. you're not you're you're, you're it's but. been but it's unsustainably good. yeah and you're that's if that happens that would be among the most miraculous. it's much more likely it's much more likely to have the bats that have been cold suddenly heat up and all of a sudden you start getting more more run production if you're you're asking me for the most likely path for them to get to a, a playoff spot it's that okay they really start hitting and Haniger gets hot again and Jared Kelnick goes from he was bad recently he's been average leaning toward good and he gets on a tear or Cal Raleigh starts really clobbering the baseball. Like all of the, you you look for guys not not someone oh can they stay this hot, but can you can you get some production? Can someone else really start to pick up the slack? Or you just ask that question we asked Jerry, is this team just resilient? Do you do you buy that idea that they've just got whether it is the toughness that they have? that they've exhibited that this is going to be a team that is greater than the sum of its parts. This is going to be a team that's able to make the playoffs despite having a run differential that would indicate they maybe shouldn't even have a winning record. Is this a team that's just got that certain undefinable characteristic in it that allows them to win close games?
1: You know, the more and more and more evidence you have, the more and more you have to say it's a possibility or a reality. And there have been teams that have done ridiculous, inexplicable things in the past. Mm -hmm. That's not a reason to predict that that will happen, because usually those are situations that are just completely, you know, random. But random does happen from time to time. Uh, I I know for a football comparison comparison earlier, I I brought up the 2012 Seahawks, uh, though they did, as you mentioned, finish with a surge that probably is not possible for this team a team that I grew up watching firsthand the 2001 New England Patriots there is no legitimate explanation for how they were able to win that Super Bowl like they they were a team that was winning games by the skin of their teeth and talent wise it was a team that had a game manager quarterback a defense that didn't have anyone Super talented. Ty Law was on it, but like as far as Hall of Famers go, that was pretty much it. And Larry Malloy, our guy, he was on it too. But that team, no one expected them to win any of the playoff games that they played in. In addition to even making the playoffs, given that they were five and five at one point during the year. Now,
0: when you when you look at that New England team. It's different because it's football. Right? It
1: is right. I mean, that changes it because we're talking about one Correct. game at a time. You got to win You, it's you, like you the NCAA you, to, a tournament,
0: right? To shoot the moon to go. You, you get in and it's baseball, and especially in the regular season, is different. Baseball, baseball is is a game of percentages, and they'll talk about it's a marathon, not a sprint, and all of those things. Baseball statistical trends are much easier to project and tend to be much more accurate simply because mm-hmm. each season is 162 games. Each game you're having four at-bats per player. The, re- the repetition means that those things things play out. You you generally can project it. Not always. And I guess that's the question of do you believe, and you can text in right now, 710-710, the Mac and Jack's text line, do you believe that this team is is going to be capable of a playoff push that wouldn't seem likely even where we're sitting right now that wouldn't wouldn't seem to be that wouldn't seem to be uh easy to forecast you wouldn't expect that to occur Given their run differential, baseball reference gives them a four point six percent chance right now of making the playoffs, which is significantly up because at the start of the week it was like one point
1: six. I mean, that's a you know three hundred percent. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. It's gone. It's gone from basically a one in a hundred shot to maybe a one in twenty shot.
1: But it goes to show you too. I mean, when you got this much season left, I mean things can dramatically change. There's still enough season left not only for them to fall out of it, but also for them to potentially keep this up or for one, if not multiple teams, to completely fall on their face. And Oakland looks like they're doing it right now. And Oakland is not a team that I look at with a great deal of respect. I feel like they have a lot of limitations uh, themselves. You know, I I don't think that their talent level really puts them in the same conversation as New York on a good day or as Houston. Um, So there are definitely teams where you see the possibilities for the Mariners to perhaps surpass. And it's just now though about as you said a little bit ago. Can those younger players start hitting? And can Mitch Haniger get back to hitting? But I, I, I don't look at this team right now as as you can't look at this team as. It's funny because I said I'm such a flip flopper with this team. It was like a couple of days ago where I felt yeah playoffs aren't happening. And and right now I'm now I'm starting to look ahead and and, and compare schedules and I'm like well. This could happen and this could happen and this could happen. So I'm starting to talk myself into it at the very least. I believe in him.
0: I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's a four percent shot either. I, I think that this is a team with a, a ten to twenty percent chance of making the playoffs. I believe in him. I believe in him for a couple of different reasons. The first is that the 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 best the best path to consistency in baseball is pitching. And the Mariners have that right now. And they have a bullpen that is being managed correctly. They have a bullpen in which the skipper, Scott Service, doesn't have guys locked into roles where this person pitches the seventh, this guy pitches the eighth. You've got a bullpen where they, I, think they, I think they use their assets the smartest way possible. Paul Sewald pitching the eighth inning last night is, is, a, is a great example of that. I believe in him because they have consistently this season, when they've run into trouble, when they've gotten to a stretch in which you said, okay, maybe the bottom's falling out. When that was Marco Gonzalez going on the injured list after you had all of these other injuries that had happened to him. When you would had all of these other guys that had already been lost, whether it was Nick Margavichis, whether it was James Paxton who didn't even finish his first start. And they go and get bludgeoned by, by San Diego 26-7 to 7 over three games and they come back home and they start playing better baseball. The resilience that they've shown, and I believe in them because they're young. I believe that the one thing that you can say, if a team was going to defy the statistical projections, it would be a young team that starts to believe in itself. A young team that gains confidence, that gains experience over the course of the season, and by the time it gets to September, is playing at a much different level, at a much different rate. That, that taking the results, because the one thing that statistics don't tell you about is, is somebody making an improvement, an adjustment. And you know what? Young players are the one thing, the, the the quickest path to getting improvement. So those are the reasons that I believe in this Mariners team.
1: In Rocky, there's this, this scene, too. You mentioned the resilience, where it's towards the very end of the fight. Rocky gets up, and then you just see that look on Apollo Creed's face. And he just presents this look. He's like, are you serious? And I bet a lot of other teams right now in the American League that they've been going up against, I would specifically point to Oakland, who's had a couple of, Snide comments about the Mariners over the course of this year, they're probably thinking to themselves, wait, what? They're still they're still hovering around. Huh? And then I would say, well, some teams probably are looking at them like Toronto and like, we can't explain it, but hey guys, like, they're for real. So that also is something. I there there's there's gotta be this unkillable feeling that these other teams look at them with and say, like, these pests, can they can they go away? Can they stop it? They're not supposed to be here. The one thing
0: I'll say about the starting rotation is that the starting rotation is actually something that is a little bit reminiscent of what this team had in two thousand one. Interesting, in which you didn't have anybody that you would identify as an ace. And No, Randy Johnson, right? It was like and that Brady actually ended up, was Freddie Garcia that, there. That, no, he he he'd already been traded. Oh, Jamie yeah. Moyer right. was probably your most consistent pitcher. The the when you got to the playoffs that. That became an issue, and sort of there was a conversation about was the was the Mariners' staff more more built for the regular season than for the playoffs, where a short series matters more. But the the consistency of their starting rotation right now, who's their ace? Who would start your playoff game right now if you had it?
1: Yeah, this is a tough tough question. I mean, it just Gonzalez because he's got the the experience of.
0: He's your he's your mentally toughest pitcher, right? Yeah, but he hasn't been the most consistent. He's pitched the best recently. Right, his past th- three starts have been absolutely awesome. Not that he's gotten much run support for those, but he's been absolutely fantastic when he's when he started recently.
1: Playoff baseball is different. Yes, and for that reason, though, is is the reason I would point towards the mental toughness. Because while Chris Flexen, who probably needs more respect than he's gotten this year, given mm-hmm. how consistent he's been, he was pitching in Korea last year, you know, and to go from that level to this level, major leagues, to playoff baseball, which I think baseball playoff baseball is like a different sport entirely from the regular season, that's going to be tough. Kikuchi, I feel like, as someone who we, we touched on a little bit earlier from time to time, he's, he's a nibbler. That's someone who, in one of those big-time spots, I'm not sure yet that that's an ideal situation where you want to have him on the hill to open things up. Tyler Anderson's your fifth starter, so it's not going to be him. Logan Gilbert's young. I, I think it has to be Gonzalez, and I think you said the same, right? Yeah, I think I go with Gonzalez,
0: and I do need to correct it. Freddie Garcia was on that 2001 Mariners team, so that was my bad guy. Freddie Garcia won 18 games there. Who's their best? You can debate. I think Tyler uh, Logan Gilbert has the most upside. I, I think that you say Kikuchi has had the best stuff this year. I think that Chris fluxon has been the most statistically consistent. Over the course of the season, and Marco Gonzalez has been has been the best recently. Who's your worst starter right now? And that's another part of it, and that lends itself much more toward a a strong closing stretch. When you're talking about okay, Justice Sheffield and Justin Dunn having to pitch their way back into the rotation, because right now, like maybe you're not going to have any more bullpen starts once you get 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 those guys back and available. But there's no guarantee that either one of those guys is going to end up in your rotation either, depending on how things go. Because, look, who's your worst starter right now? If you answer Tyler Anderson, like what that dude has done since he's gotten here is consistently you can write it in in pen, give you five professionally pitched innings and a chance to win.
1: Every single start this year, a texter asks, do you think we will offer Anderson an extension? Honestly, I'd think about it at this point. I I don't know that he's going to get a whole lot on the open market, given that he's not spe- specifically dominant. But yeah, that's that at this point in time, barring injury, and they have had a lot of unfortunate luck with injuries in the starting rotation a lot of this year, maybe not recently. There isn't somebody that you point at and think, oh no, this is going to be one of those games where we dig deep into our bullpen and get perhaps shelled along the way. Over the past month, you've seen that rotation solidify. And that's probably,
0: of all the different things that you could say, is that the pitching is what gives the Mariners the best shot. The pitching and then their toughness. It is Danny and Gallant. It is time for us to go around the NFL.
1: It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest
0: stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant.
1: Today's an
2: exceptional day.
1: Football. What's up, Maura?
2: You, You just, the air horns are just gone and dead, huh? I mean,
1: I I retired them. I could bring them back, I guess, but I would need to be bribed with monetary uh, gifts.
2: Okay, I'm good. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you guys see the Rams-Raiders joint practice getting kind of heated yesterday?
1: Yeah, joint practices are awesome. I love this. I know that NFL coaches don't, and there's a risk for injury, but tell us the story, Maura.
2: Uh, Well, yeah, it started with Jalen Ramsey laying a pretty good hit on Raiders running back Josh Jacobs that knocked his helmet off. Let's Um, go! That's awesome! The Raiders took exception to that, and things had to kind of, guys had to be separated, and then later another scuffle occurred when Sebastian Joseph Day got into it with Richie Incognito, which I would not recommend. Um, And this is Sean McVay uh, not happy after practice.
1: I didn't like how sloppy it felt overall. There was a lot of breaks in the action because of unnecessary stuff, and you know, it wasn't exclusive to one side or the other, but, you know, for us to get the work that I know Coach Gruden and his group wants and for us and our group, you know, we got to clean up some of the mechanics and, you know, i got to do a better job of managing some of the things as well.
0: That's the issue with joint practices is because if things get out of control, it's not as easy to control it as it is in a game. Because well, in, a, in, a, in a game, you just start kicking guys out. Like the officials, you don't have any. And, like, you've seen... I've seen in inter-squad practices, not all of them, but in some of them, you see worse fights than you'll ever see in a, in a preseason game or in a regular season game.
1: That is true, and if uh, I, I think that there was rules that Rex Ryan had that if you get into a fight, do not swing at anyone's head and do not take your helmet off, otherwise you're going to be removed from the practice immediately. <laughs> that was a Rex Ryan strategy, but... You're right. I I went to a practice, and it was DeAndre Hopkins and Jimmy Ward. Legitimately the second play of practice where they were wailing on each other. You can kick those players out immediately, but you have to be on top of it as a coach, too. And that's probably something that you don't want to concern yourself with over the course of a joint practice. Being honest here, there's an
0: issue, too, because players know that if they get kicked out of a league-sanctioned game, that they're subject to fines from the league. And they know if they get kicked out of a practice, it's just their teams, and they're they're less fearful of really being dinged in their wallet. And you have an issue with that, and like you said, you kick the players out right away. It doesn't mean that the stuff dies down. And people, I think, always assume that players respond to everything that their coaches say, and you're overestimating the amount of control that a coach has over the behavior of professional players. Professional players fear getting fined by the NFL. They do not fear nearly as much being kicked out of practice or fined by their team because they know there are ways around it
2: all right Aaron Rodgers told reporters yesterday that he doesn't want a farewell tour quote I don't know what's going to happen after the season but I'm going to enjoy it with the right perspective for sure and not look at it as I'm getting through this I'm going to enjoy the hell out of all of it
1: I guess he said he was 50-50 going into training camp on whether he would retire to Mora and do you
2: think there was a farewell tour planned?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I mean,
2: <laughs> ah, good one. Good one, Mora. Yeah, like, you I'm think the sure rest of the how league I not We are going to cover this.
0: Nobody maybe maybe Green Bay fans think this is the last season for him, but nobody else around the rest of the league is like, "Oh, we're never going to see Aaron Rodgers again." This is a snip between him and his employer. Like, he's, he's drastically... Like, we're all enjoying watching this, but it's not like we're pining away and wondering about the future. Like, I just want him to throw as much mud at each other as possible. Did we're, you see the question yesterday that he was asked? What was that? So, last year, what, there was a guy, Jake Kumaro, who, uh, that Rodgers complimented, and then the Packers cut him, and then he ended up going to Buffalo. So, this week, he, um... He told Peter King that there was a, a name of a, I can't remember who, it's a tight end. It's like the fourth string tight end on his team. He, and he told Peter King that he really, he was looking forward and thought he was doing great. And then the first, oh, it's Bronson Kafusi. He told Bronson Kafusi, he was very, very uh, praised, praised him to Peter King. Rob Demoski, who covers the Packers for ESPN, said, I can't wait to see what Kafusi does in Buffalo this year. And Rogers is taking a drink, and he starts laughing. And then he took the Lord's name in vain and said, Rob. said, hey, Seuss, Rob. Like, because everybody's joking about, like, what exactly is going to happen. Like, it's like this little—it's great. I think it's hilarious. He's just publicly taking shots at, at his team, too, and he's got reporters in on it now,
1: too. Uh, I hear Farewell Tour, too, and I get, I get worked up, Danny, about Coach K— It is. Oh, you're ready for that to come? Upcoming farewell tour. Yeah, farewell tours in general. Like, get over yourself.
2: But at least he's actually leaving a job. He's not, like, Rodgers is just going to play for another team.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. I would imagine for those who are going to Green Bay that perhaps it could be a pilgrimage, if you will, to see the last of Aaron Rodgers.
2: Right, Jamal Adams joined Wyman and Bob yesterday, and um, if you thought last season was impressive for him, he has some pretty lofty goals for this season. The main thing is winning for me, but yes, goals is very high. I'm always setting, you know, uh, uh, my goals at, at at a at a reach to where I feel it's impossible. But I, I, you know, I never believed that. So last year, before the nine and a half sacks, it, it was 12 and a half as my goal. Uh, obviously, didn't reach it. Um, so that's the goal this year.
1: 12 and a half. You don't want him to have 12 and a half sacks because that means that your pass rush isn't doing a good enough job and that he's had to save said pass rush. But at the same time, he's so good at blitzing, Danny, that I, I don't think that this is out of the poss- realm of possibility given what we saw last year.
0: That's what he was on pace for last year, right? Yeah. He missed, he missed a quarter of the season. Mm-hmm. He still finished with nine and a half sacks. Yep. Like If you projected over a 16-game season, that's, that's the number. I'll be interested to see how.
1: I'm. Do you want it him to blitz that me. much? Do you want him to be yeah. in the backfield as much as he I was don't, last year? I because I, I don't.
0: I don't think it's bad. I don't think it exposes them. I think the way that their defense
1: works. I think you can do it. I am curious though to see what else he can do if he is not being asked to do that as much in this defense. If that makes sense, like I. I that is what he is best at. So. There's no reason to stop doing it entirely. One of the things, too, that Bobby Wagner is awesome at blitzing, and they've seemingly done it a little bit less over the last couple of seasons. So you would like to see that continue, too. But at the same time, if the pass rush is doing its job, that means that those guys can sort of hover around and fly around and potentially make more impactful plays, separating the football from a receiver with a forced fumble, getting an interception. One of the differences that we maybe could see this year Assuming that the defensive line with Carlos Dunlap here the whole season, Kerry Hyder now aboard, is going to be a better unit. So the measurement would be how many sacks he gets
0: compared to how many big plays you give up, right? Like that would be that if if your third down percentage and big plays allowed starts to go up, if you're allowing opponents to convert third downs and your big plays go up and 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 he has big sack numbers, then you can start to ask that. I don't want to assume that that's going to be the case, though. I don't want to assume that that sending him after the quarterback is going to compromise other parts of your defense. Because I don't, I don't think we know. I think Seattle should have a better idea of how to use him this season. That is Around the NFL, our training camp coverage, brought to you by Precor Home Fitness. Coming up next, we have the least inspiring statement for your job that I've ever heard. Are you buying it? Straight ahead you're listening to danny and gallant powered through the alaska Airlines studios on 710 espn seattle
2: now here are your hosts danny o'neill and paul
0: gallant we're taking you around the diamond thanks to shane company your friend in the jewelry business the Mariners are going to wrap up their three game series in Texas today. Chris Flexen on the mound for the Mariners. The pregame show is going to start right after us at 10 a.m. First pitch as it is at 11:05, and then the Mariners travel to Houston, where they begin a three game series with the Astros tomorrow. That is around the diamond. Brought to you by Shane Company, your friend in the jewelry business. You ready to hear Andy Dalton get you pumped up? You ready to you ready to hear the Red Rifle get you all fired up, Paul? Is that possible? Yes. The Red Rifle, he's not ready to be put out to pasture yet. He is not ready to be shelved in the in, in the wake of young rookie Justin Fields. The Red Rifle is here, man, and he's not giving an inch.
1: Like I've said before, Justin's going to have his time, and Justin's going to have a great career. But right now, it's, it's my time, and so my focus is on being the best player I can be for this team and do everything I can to help this team win. All the gusto of what J.J. Watt once called the Red uh, Rider BB gun. Not a lot of energy there. I need more. Are you buying it? Are you buying it that, that Andy Dalton is not going anywhere? I think him saying that is a reason to sell it. I think him bringing that up is a reason to take a serious look at just how firm a grip he has of that starting job. Because if you have a firm grip, do you need to say these things? If you're actually secure in your situation, why do you feel the need to bring that up?
0: Yeah. I, I did not find him convincing. I didn't find it convincing. I, really, I don't even know if he believes it, Paul.
1: I've looked at Justin Fields, and I'll admit that one of the things that I had against Justin Fields is that he played at Ohio State, and Ohio State quarterbacks have not been able to make the jump. It was one preseason game, and he did say, oh, this is easy afterwards. But I like the way he moves around. I think that's a big thing to have behind an offensive line that's not particularly good. I know John Clayton had mentioned how long it takes him to get the football out, but I, I I would say of all the guys that I watched this past weekend, he is the quarterback that intrigues me the most going into this season, and they're really going to keep Andy Dalton in front of him. I mean, what's the point? Where are, you, where, where are you going with that? If I
0: was a Bears fan, I would not want Justin Fields to start for this simple reason. I don't want him sullied by the nitwits that are currently running, running Matt that Nagy team. And Ryan Pace. Yes, let them get fired. Let whoever you're going to hire come in. Let them work with Justin Fields. Isn't
1: that the reason for them to put him in though? I mean, if you're no, Matt Nagy, God, no. if you're Matt Nagy and you put Justin Fields in, you're like, "Yeah, well, I'm working with this rookie quarterback and I just need some more time." Exactly. Like that's the sort of that's why you don't want him. What are the scenarios
0: that happen if if he plays? If Justin Fields plays under Matt Nagy, what are the scenarios that unfold? He plays terribly. Nagy gets fired, Pace gets fired, and you bring in another coach who will not have any long-term investment in Fields, right? He will not have drafted Fields, and what you will have seen from Fields would at the very least cause you to think, like, yeah, we can't assume that we've got the quarterback
1: here. Possibly, but at the same time, I do think that Bears' ownership, uh, the McCaskey family, is incompetent. So I feel like one of the things that they would probably have to seriously consider is bringing somebody in who looks at fields as something that can be salvaged as opposed to fields as someone that could potentially be moved on from. Like I don't think that they would even want to entertain the idea of another possibility at quarterback. They're going to try to force that to work.
0: Okay, so that's scenario one. He plays poorly, and he's a salvage job for your next coach and GM. What's the second possibility? He plays awesome. Justin Fields is great. He is everything that you've wanted in this franchise that hasn't had a good starting quarterback since Jim McMahon. If Jim that,
1: McMahon. I would and, say Sid and, Luckman. You
0: no, know, McMahon was. It's a different era, but McMahon McMahon could make plays. Now, he'd get hit harder than anybody you've ever uh, imagined. Like, that guy would just get obliterated. But McMahon was... You keep Nagy then? If he plays well, Nagy gets to keep his job. That's if why Nagy should playoffs, put him in. <laughs> OK, so that's your upside. Your upside is you've got a great quarterback and he's saddled with Nagy. The third option is that he plays all right. He shows enough to be promised. And OK, then you fire Nagy and then bring in. OK, we'll bring in somebody else who really gets to work with him, in which case Justin Fields will have just in some ways wasted the past year learning somebody's offense and, and, and taking all of the different hits. I would, I would not want – I would want Justin Fields to be not played at all until you get a better – if I'm a Bears fan, that's what I'm rooting for. I'm rooting for them to play Andy Dalton, have him be the sacrificial lamb, and then get an actual coach in there to work with Justin Fields to determine whether or not he's any good. Yeah,
1: That team, that fan base, though, is so starved for a quarterback. Yes, yep. Jim McMahon made it work for the 1980s. And all right. They had since of like Cade McNown and Jay Cutler. Goodness gracious. You
0: don't forget what was the uh, – they traded for Cutler. There was Kyle Orton was in there. Yeah. Like, I mean, they've had, they've had some doozies. Jim Miller and and Kyle Orton are like their two playoff caliber quarterbacks. Sexy Rexy? Rex oh, yeah, I forgot a, about
1: Rex Grossman. He got up to a Super Bowl. You're right. Florida Gator. Uh,
0: all right, next one. Chris Sims. Here's his assessment on where Seattle stands with
1: Dwayne Brown you got to get this done, one, for your own football team and Russell Wilson in this new offense. Two, um, you play in the NFC West. There is super freaks coming off the defensive line every play. So you better have a really damn good left tackle with Leonard Floyd and Aaron Donald and Nick Bosa and company all going to be, you know, a, a formidable foe all year long. Are you buying
0: it? Is Chris, is Chris Sims right that the onus is on Seattle? It doesn't matter if it makes sense or not. You need him.
1: Yeah, I I, I am buying what Chris Sims is, is is selling there. I mean, a left tackle is not like a spleen. You know, you need to have a left tackle, especially in a division that yeah features probably the most fearsome array of pass rushers, and we're not even sure that Chandler Jones is going to be there this season. But if he's there in Arizona, if he all of a sudden things are ameliorated between he and the Cardinals, that's yet another person out there. They don't have an alternative. If there was something like even for next year, that would be one thing. But what say you?
0: Uh, I'm, I don't want to make decisions about long-term availability on what has to work. So, no, I don't think you need to solve it. I think you hope that Dwayne Brown plays for you this year. I think that you hope and you make every promise to him and say we will evaluate it at the end of the season, we'll evaluate it halfway through the year, but I do not. I am not going to, given everything that, that we know about sort of how Dwayne has felt about playing this year and potential reservations he might have had, I am not going to promise paying him next year to get him on the field in 2021.
1: Understandable. Still, though. I don't know what you do. I, I I'm going like, hope he plays. Right, I'll be I, honest.
0: Like I hope I I I'm, I'm going to say that as nice as possible. I'm going to say that as nice as possible because
1: I really want him out there week one.
0: For what it's really I just I just really don't want to have to pay him next year to get him out here week one.
1: When I was out there Tuesday, I mean, he was he was there. He was present, and it's not like he was off to the side. Like he was he was standing amongst teammates, and that at the very least is a. Somewhat promising sign, but yeah, right now, I mean, you are just hoping that this is not something that's going to turn into a holdout. Standing Gallant, 20 minutes away from Mariners pregame,
0: and we're just minutes away from raising flags. That's next. From the pocket, and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now
1: there's a flag down. Every morning at 9.45 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen.
0: If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout.
1: Flag on the play.
0: We're getting some fights. A little bit of news updates. Uh, The New York Jets. Looks like Carl Lawson. it's a defensive end who's been a strong performer for them throughout training camp left uh, joint practice with the packers on a cart
1: yeah yay signed him this offseason to a three-year 45 million dollar contract and once again that's an organization that just seems cursed at times whether it's signing cj mosley he opts out he gets hurt too it's been something else about that team and at the titans bucks joint practice there was
0: a fisticuffs and it appears that uh Antonio Brown removed the helmet of Chris Jackson as a defensive back for the Titans, ripped his helmet off, and then cracked him in the jaw.
1: Antonio Brown's a a changed man, Danny. I've read so many ESPN profiles about him.
0: Oh, just because he gets into a football fight doesn't mean he's not. That other things Like we can't Like socking a guy in the jaw During football practice Is significantly dur- I'm, I'm not being facetious here either.
1: Like we don't We don't think that That translates to normal behavior Do we? He's hinged Clearly Not unhinged Hinged That is a guy That has always been The person that you expect The most rational And sane things out of Nope Never Antonio Brown I'll tell you what, it looks
0: like he yanked the guy's helmet off and then hit him, which does seem fairly rational.
1: You know what? Good point. He took his helmet off. It's an effective fighting technique. Your hands are really important. You don't want to hurt your hands as a wide receiver. Let's
0: go to flags. I'm going to start off here because I'm throwing a flag on Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks is boring. Yep. Has it been boring for three years now? Yeah. I'm gonna say three years. Most exciting thing that happened during the Rams most recent hard knocks was McVeigh drinking rose and swimming, right?
1: Yeah, sure. Like McVeigh trying to show off that he's got some pecs.
0: That was the most interesting thing. Yeah. But, but the most interesting thing of last year's hard knocks was I'm drawing a blank. Was there even one? It was the Raiders, no. right? No. And it
1: was Luke Wilson. And Luke Wilson told us afterward no, how mad he was about how was he the was portrayed. Combo
2: of the Chargers and Rams, and the year before was the Raiders. That's how boring
1: okay. it was. You thought it took place over two years, and it was all in one. They had two teams, Danny, and yeah, pandemic, but they could not get anything. It was it was boring. It was McVeigh. McVeigh was the most interesting thing, and it was him without his shirt on. Two years ago, it was the Raiders, and they had this entire subplot with Antonio Brown, and they didn't cover it at all. Which I, it's I, ridiculous. That's when I was out. Because I was like, this is the most interesting thing taking place in camp. And and what we are seeing this year, Dak Prescott coming back from injury, that's the entire subject of the first week of the show. Now he's got a shoulder injury going on. Oh, all of a sudden, they're they're not saying anything about him because they're freaking out because they're paranoid. The Cowboys are the one team that would give the NFL access, you would think, to do this show. And here it is. I'm out. I'm out on it forever. I'm never watching another episode. Done.
0: Antonio Brown showed up with frozen feet.
1: Yeah, and they, and they didn't cover it. Like
2: futsicles. Come on, come on. Well, they what in the name them, of which was disgusting? Oh yeah, they yeah. Did show them.
0: So it was, was nasty. It. Yeah, I wonder what Rex Ryan thought about his feet.
2: He
1: tried to fight Mike Mayock. That's true. We didn't hear about that either. What the heck? So.
0: So, okay, so throwing a flag, Hard Knocks is boring. I want to flashback to a time when you could count on Hard Knocks for good content. Okay. This is Brian Cox, who is, oh. if anybody remembers him as a player, there isn't anybody he wouldn't fight. He'd try to fight whole teams when he was a linebacker with a, a number of teams, from the Bears to the Miami Dolphins. To He was with the, was he, he was with the Patriots for a little bit, too. Yes, he was.
1: He? Yeah, he, he, a lot of people credit him in 2001 as starting the season by laying out Jerome Pathon on a row over the middle. Hold on. His name is Pathon. He was from the University of Washington and he was imported from Canada. Oh, okay.
0: Another, Uh, uh, interesting. Here's Brian Cox. Here is Brian Cox uh, talking about why you can't trust a man who doesn't have a vice. Mm
2: -hmm. No. A man without some kind of habit got a lot of skeletons. (laughs) So a man who doesn't have a vice has a lot of skeletons. Mm Mm-hmm. Ain't no question. Somebody buried in his basement... He got about three wives, you know, serial killer. Gotta have vice. You ain't got a vice, I'm wrong.
0: He's saying this as he's smoking a cigar that's the size of a dynamite stick. (laughs) Like it is a cartoon sized cigar, explaining if you don't have a vice you have serious
1: problems. I had fun when the Texans got covered for Hard Knocks. I actually. It's Wilforks wearing overalls with no shirt. Right, like there were fun moments on that season. Of you had J.J. Watt being like a super hardo. You had me on it for five seconds. That was that. It was just a picture of me. But uh, you know, Come I was on. I was pumped about that. Bill O'Brien loving Rick Ross. Bill O'Brien actually seeming likable then. But since then, it has been a
0: bad show. Boring. It's yeah. boring. Boring. Maura, what do you have for a flag?
2: All right, I am going to, uh, I guess, raise a flag for Lance Lynn. I, I, I find these substance checks in baseball that get adventurous amusing. I don't know if you guys do, but he was da-da, thrown out of a game.
0: Da-da. <laughs> He's uh, throwing his belt out onto the field. <laughs>
2: yeah, I guess he got annoyed that the ump like, took too long to come do the check, so he left his hat. Um, and his glove on the edge of the dugout. And then I guess the ump said, hey, I need your belt too. So he just kind of chucked it, <laughs> it and got immediately ejected. And uh, this was this was his commentary on it post-game. He yells at me that he needs to see my belt, so I tossed it up and then he throws me out. Were you
0: expected to get tossed at that point?
2: No, I mean, he's late getting over there and <laughs> I'm trying to get some work done to go back out for the fifth. And, you know, obviously he's... I heard his feelings. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that I'm getting married now, right? That's how it works if you catch the belt.
0: Uh, no, that's uh, I think that's a different type of belt. Oh, I don't okay. think that's the 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 belt that buckles around the uh, uh, around the waist of a baseball player. I, I will say this. Uh, that's solid work by Lance Lynn. I guess I heard his feelings. By I the, heard him right in his feelings.
1: We finally saw someone else ejected, by the way, for substance something, oh, really? something on their Yeah, uh, on the Arizona Diamondbacks. We saw um, a guy by the name of, uh, what's his face, uh, Colby. He ended up getting ejected because he had some spots, I guess, on his glove. Excuse me, Caleb Smith. His glove was confiscated in the eighth inning. He had to be pulled back by team coaches. He did not handle it as well as Hector Santiago, who you remember, laughed. So the glove was sent to New York for examination. No, word They're not going to was- examine it. They're not going to examine it, Caleb. They're just going to suspend you. It wasn't hermetically sealed in a trash bag, for uh, what we know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What a joke. (laughs) Baseball's run by stooges.
1: Good for Lance Lynn. Make an entire mockery out of it. Paul, what do you got? A real quick one. So, Mopani the lion got killed. Uh, This is like Harambe and Cecil. I mean, this this is bad. And I don't like predator hunting, which takes place. In countries like Zimbabwe, you can buy a permit. But essentially, this is not really hunting. This is not the greatest game. This is done by people who I think have never played sports, who are just giant betas, where you're camping essentially like in a first-person shooter so that you can kill a lion so that you have a picture with a trophy or something like that. I think it's horrible that this is something that is still done because I think lions are majestic creatures. And I feel like if you actually are going to go trophy hunting, you should have to hunt that animal using only a spear. Otherwise, you are getting a participation trophy by getting this trophy, which I put in quotes. So uh, RIP to Mopani and whoever killed him, you are a beta.
0: What stinks is that this hunt was done similar to the spot where Cecil's was, where Mm -hmm. it's at the edge of a reserve. Correct. So you're not allowed to kill the lion if he's in the reserve, but if he crosses out of the reserve, you, you are. And it was, I think they found the safari that offered $50,000, charged $50,000. They think it was a South African hunter. Uh, Cecil was a Minnesota dentist. hmm Yeah.
1: They let him bleed out for 24 hours before they went over to actually take him out of his suffering, which is just a horrible thing to do. Lions are cool, and poachers, you guys are losers. That's going to do it for us. want to thank
0: Ty France, Jerry Depoto gabe jackson that's a full list that's a full list of inter- interviews also uh brock Heward and john clayton who joined us today Mora dooley who keeps everything flowing he is paul gallant and yeah he, he, he's, he's got some things to say about this offense maybe he's got a way to, to supercharge the mariners coming up
1: and he is danny o'neill dare to dream express let's go mariners baseball next